Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast, the first anniversary edition. That's right, dear podcast listeners, we have been on your audio devices and on the internet for an entire year. And like so much of the previous year, I have the great pleasure of being your host today. My name's Sarah O'Donnell, and with me in the newsroom studio to celebrate this milestone... And yes, I know Keith and Company did celebrate the 50th episode of the podcast not too long ago, but still, they're slightly different. We've got Provincial Affairs reporter Karen Cleese. Hello. City columnist Paula Simons. Hello. And political columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Thanks for joining me, everyone. We didn't bury a time capsule last year to open on our first anniversary, but that's okay, because there's lots of political news in the present for us to discuss. A nearly two-year-old cell phone bill kept the progressive conservative leadership race in the headlines this week. We'll talk about that story and what it means for Alberta politics. Then we'll learn more about the state of the province's finances after the first three months of the fiscal year. And we'll conclude with a moment on that other leadership race, the NDP contest. Overseas travel and bills accumulated during those trips continue to haunt the PC government this week. Can someone explain why a cell phone bill from 2012 is an issue for Thomas Lukasik today? So I can tell you this, that this is about as seedy as politics gets. Mm. And this is the kind of story that Martha and Henry, regular normal Albertans, look at and they say, these guys are corrupt and this is disgusting and it completely turns them off politics. That's how seedy and nasty this business is around Mm. this cell phone bill. What we know from just a a narrative perspective is that somebody inside government at some point went into the service Alberta files and pulled the records for this cell phone bill that Thomas Lukasik ran up when he was in Poland in the fall of 2012. Now he was on vacation, but this was uh, accrued on a government cell phone. We heard virtually nothing about it until two weeks before the leadership race. We don't know who pulled it. We don't know who leaked it. Uh, What we do know is that it made its way, these documents, to a UPS location in Calgary, where somebody, again, we don't know who and we don't know why, used a Calgary resident's name and address fraudulently, allegedly, uh, to mail it to Sun reporter Matt Dykstra. Matt then published a story saying that Lukasik had run up this bill. Now, uh, you know, that was the first day story, and that's how it made the news. Splashed all over the place. It was it was a pretty wild day. Yeah, I mean, $20,000 is a lot of money to spend on one month cell phone bill. I mean, I'm horrified when mine shows up being in the three digits, more than $100. So is that why this initially got attention? Is uh, Well, yeah, there was that, plus the fact that Lukasik couldn't explain why he had run it up. He said, look, this involved a legal issue. It's uh, so there's a publication ban on it. So I'd like to talk to you about as to why I spent all that money. It was government-related business, but I can't tell you about it because it's a publication ban. And so then the media then began. Uh, Karen went down and got the actual documents. Right. So we got this, the apology from Thomas. He did apologize for the expense, right, saying he tried to get it, argue it down. Oh, who has not been on that end with the with customer service trying to get and the, the bill reduced? And the thing is, so, and he didn't get it knocked down, even though we saw Diana McQueen last year got nailed with a multi-thousand-dollar cellular bill when she was in Europe, and she got it knocked down to $200. Huh. He couldn't get it knocked down. And if nothing else, it shows to me a sort of a cavalier attitude towards um, you know his cell phone use when he's actually doing government business but in, you know, in yeah. Europe. I, I have to say, uh, he's the deputy premier. Is it his job to micromanage his phone plan? I mean, as deputy, I mean, I don't want to defend 
Thomas Lucas. Twenty thousand dollars. But he has a staff of people. He was the deputy premier at the time. I don't actually want the deputy premier to be spending his time micromanaging the roaming plan on his cell phone. He believed he had a roaming plan. He has staff who were supposed to set that up. He got a phone call. We now understand from Karen's investigation from a cabinet minister who cannot be named or identified by location or gender or portfolio because of this sweeping publication ban for which I can see no legal justification. Uh, so he gets an emergency phone call from a cabinet minister who says, there is a crisis in my life. My life is in danger. And he responds on the not illogical assumption that his staff have equipped him with a roaming plan for his trip. You know, it was it was careless of him not to make assurance doubly sure before he answered the phone that he wasn't going to get jammed with this kind of bill. But I also, you know, I think we have to be somewhat reasonable. If, if you're the deputy premier, is it so irrational to assume that the whole phalanx of staff you have back at your office will have equipped you with a phone that is safe to take on a trip? Yeah, that's so a good point. The whole, but this is staff's fault. This is the same excuse that Redford gave for that $45,000 trip to South Africa. I didn't book the flight. The staff booked the flight. Blame the staff. Oh, Graham, I don't think it's the same thing at all. She wanted... She, she had created, as we know from the Auditor General, this culture of fear. She demanded the flight. They booked the flight because I don't think that's I quite think the same thing blame, as, as getting staff. an emergency phone call from a cabinet colleague who says, my life is in danger. Help me. Was he supposed to hang up the phone at that point? I'm not, no, I'm not saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. He should have just hung up the phone. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying if you, if you go to Europe, do you let your phone just roam? I don't. I get paranoid about it I've, for work. We make sure there's a plan yeah, involved. No, you, and I mean, you're saying I mean, when I went to Europe, I I, I took a I, you know I, I got I'm a saying. local phone. But the, the the average person is going to say if I go to Europe outside of Alberta, outside of Canada, I make sure. Now you could say he's a deputy premier. He's on vacation, um, and at some point the buck has to stop with somebody. You just can't say that, that it's the staff's fault. I think to me, the average person is going to say twenty thousand dollar bill. Yes, you could argue that this was government related business. A bit of a stretch, but still fine. But, well, but having, it, was, it wasn't personal to him. I, I, think, I think it is arguable that this wasn't government-related yeah. business. But when, when he took the phone call, what he would have seen on his phone is, it's a cabinet minister phoning me. He would have assumed when he answered the phone that it was government business. The fact that that person was having a very personal life crisis and called him in his role as deputy premier... No, I but mean, it's not government that's not, business. That, but I, getting a telephone got, call is not a big deal. Yeah. They start downloading hours of data... <laughs> That well, that, okay, issue. that was, ask, that was they, stupid. Have they since, has, as the government, I mean, I know the journal, we have someone who is in charge of, you know, monitoring our cell phone use and making sure we have a good plan. Have they changed? I didn't expect us to go down this particular road at this moment, but have they changed that, Karen? Like, do you know, have they since put more safeguards in place for, like, is there now somebody who keeps track of these things in the government? From my conversation with Minister Lukasik yesterday, I understand that they have put in place a government-wide cell phone plan of some kind, but that there was none at that time. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, obviously, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, that's, obviously that's, a, that's a system failure of the government. Yeah. And I, you know, I I think our listeners understand my my take on things well enough to know that apologia for the provincial government is not my usual default <laughs> setting. I just think that in this case, I think, and this is what where, where Karen started this, 
this should have come out two years ago. It, it should have, you know, maybe been public. The publication ban on the minister's private uh, family crisis is a complicating factor. But what is extra super sleazy about this is that weeks before, days before the first vote in the in the leadership, that somebody uh, dug this up and shopped it around at a time when it would do the most potential damage. That so is that's, yes. that's a real let's, story here. That's the, the main yeah, story. Let's here. talk politics about this. Why did this happen now? Um, Thomas Lukaszek running for the leadership race gets slammed in the newspaper with this nasty, nasty allegation. And the crucial concern from my perspective is, did the person who leaked it know that he was not going to be able to talk publicly about it? Because people's minds always go to the negative, right? People are going to assume he's watching Netflix or some other unsavory business on his iPad while he's traveling around Europe, right? Yeah. People are going to assume that he's having long conversations with his wife or whatever. Um, they're not going to assume that he's working on government business. And he was precluded from saying anything about what he was talking about. It wasn't until the journalists in this city went to the courthouse, got a copy of the documents. And I, when I called him yesterday, the relief in his voice at being able to discuss at least a part of what had happened was palpable. And that is really interesting politically. And I'll, you know, I'll let Graham and Paula talk about this because it's, it's really dirty. Well, the question becomes now who leaked it? And there's a police investigation. Calgary police are looking at this as the person who apparently mailed this um, document to the, the, the Edmonton Sun. Uh, Lukasik's come out and said that this is an inside job. It must, he's assuming or he's pointing to the Prentice, Jim Prentice campaign. He has no proof of that. He's just saying this is an inside job. Uh, it came from Jim Prentice. His, the Prentice campaign is denying any responsibility for this. So was Rick McIver, by the way. But there's not a shoe yet to drop. If this police investigation finds something out that ties it to the leadership race at some level, this is absolutely huge. Um, Paul and I can argue about the ethics or um, you know the, 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 the bill, the, 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 the stupidity. I don't, yeah. I, 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 I don't, I don't think what Lukasik yeah. did was unethical. It may have been colossally stupid. I, but I think that's I, you're right. And the, the terms, yeah, twenty thousand dollar bill. That was a huge mistake. Um, it's a dumb thing to do, but I have, to me, the bigger issue is this next shooter drop, police investigation, if it's tied back to the leadership race, that is huge. This is explosive. So the story just itself about Lukasik and his phone bill, that's not going to be a big issue. It won't make a big difference in the leadership race. Potentially a game changer, I hate that term, but a game changer could be if this investigation finds something out that's really but, dirty and right. sleazy. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it comes out now before the leadership race or if it comes out after the leadership <laughs> is decided, if it's if it is one of the people involved in the leadership race, it will be explosive. It also says something absolutely fascinating about what's happening inside the leadership absolutely. race and inside the conservative party. This party uh, is in crisis. That we have uh, somebody inside the governing party working for the government in in those offices, leaking documents about a cabinet minister who's running for the progressive conservative leadership and could be the next premier. I mean, the, to say that the wheels are falling off at this point, to say that whichever campaign leaked this document is 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 in uh, is in crisis is, is, you know, a wild understatement. But I mean, I, how does this happen? Do we, we don't do see we, this in Alberta do politics. Do we know that, though? I mean, is it possible that, I mean, I have a couple of concerns about 
where this is going and there being a police investigation. Because, I mean, do we want to be chasing down whistleblowers <laughs> yeah, or know. people who leak documents? That's where I, So I'm rather troubled about that aspect of it. A part of me thinks, okay, somebody felt this was information that needed to be public. And as journalists, we, we believe information should be public. So then should we be... I guess I, I don't. I guess we're not the ones seeking a police investigation, but is that a road that anybody should be going down, or should well, it just? It, 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 it just is, defies it is, logic it that is, this had anything to do with transparency and yeah. accountability. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Yeah. It is always a question when I get a brown envelope full of leaked documents from an anonymous tipster. I always have to wonder, and as a good journalist, I always have to ask, what might be the agenda of the person who leaked me that information? Sometimes the information is so interesting and important on its face that the political agenda of the leaker is less important. But anytime you get an envelope like this, and I'm Graham, and we've all, everyone, everyone in this room has had an envelope like that, you always have to consider the source. What's really interesting about this is if the source, hypothetically, were, hypothetically, someone tied to the Prentice <laughs> campaign. Hypothetically. hypothetically <laughs> it, it suggests that the Prentice campaign is a lot more worried about Thomas Lukaszek than you might have expected them to be six weeks ago. I mean, initially, when Jim Prentice entered the race, the expectation was a seamless coronation. Uh, the idea that they're worried enough about Thomas Lukaszek to leak this information, if that is, in fact, what happened, would suggest... As, as Karen says, a scorched, a scorched earth slash and burn approach to taking down your opposition yeah, well, in, in which you I cannibalize could... your own party. And not only that, I mean, not only is it an attack on Lukaszek, now we have to consider for a moment the other cabinet minister, the cabinet minister who made this phone call and had this domestic life crisis. We can't identify that cabinet minister. So in effect, this story ends up smearing every cabinet minister. And the be party. Because you don't know which cabinet minister was involved in in this in this family scandal life crisis and to your point sarah about you know was this just some do-gooder who wanted the information <clears throat> to be made public the way that we do all the time um, it is absolutely not uncommon to see these kinds of leaks coming out during election campaigns uh, lake of fire was one of these surreptitious leaks i think it was paula who eventually deduced who it was uh, allison redford's leadership campaign we saw the leaked poll that that boosted her fortunes in that le leadership race i mean this is standard practice in leadership campaigns in election campaigns to leak information that's going to chat that's going to change the channel on the topic and this story broke in the wake of jim prentice's um, I'm not trying to draw any uh, connections here, but in the wake of the Prentice's um, the term limit, the term limit debacle, the free the free uh, membership debacle, um, you know, th this was designed to change the channel. There's just no question. Okay. About and, it. Well, and I, and I think, think I think Thomas is a polarizing enough guy, probably within government himself, that I wouldn't put it past an individual who just thought like, no, this is this this needs to be exposed. I, I could potentially see it being an individual not connected to any campaign. This is me knowing nothing about this, by the way. And also, but I also see your point that if someone wants to leak information, they probably shouldn't be doing it using a real person's name at the UPS store, right? If that's what has been done, if someone's identity has been wrongly appropriated to mail something. So that's not cool. It could be anybody. Yeah. It could be so, somebody with an agenda against the party. Yeah. Um, and, you like, know, like who, for example? Well, <laughs> I, I'm not naming any names, but there are people who just want to blow up the party. And, you know, those people, this, this, this isn't, could have been a targeted attack on Lukaszek, but it may also be a targeted attack on the party generally. So, so because overall, it, we are seeing 
this is like you mentioned a government crisis. The administration, there's disarray everywhere. The leadership race, um, right now you talk about the free memberships. Now, this has happened in the past. We have seen that Gary Marr was giving some away, but it, but here we actually have the, the, the candidate admitting, yes, we're giving these away for free. They're having a heck of a time selling memberships. All of them are. Last time around, we saw on the first ballot in 2011 about 60,000 ballots cast. This time around, we may see half that. We may see a little fewer than that. And this is another issue going forward, and we'll see what happens September the 6th, is the number of people who actually vote in this race. Because even if whoever wins it, and if it's this say Prentice wins, but he gets like 12, 13,000 votes to win this, which is not impossible, that that is a huge problem for the party. Yeah, and there are all kinds of people popping up on Twitter saying, hey, I got a free membership in the mail, which I never requested. Right. And so... You know, it, that's fine. You can give out all the free memberships you want. But They're if Graham says it's, it's, it's even more damning if they have this many members on the roll and many of them don't come to vote, what will that say? Because right. one thing, you know, if you spend $10 to have a membership, you likely you have an investment there yeah. to actually go out and vote. If you're giving it for free, <laughs> there's no connection there. There's, there's no contract. You've, you've given nothing up of yourself to actually go and vote, and odds are the turnout will be even lower than we saw in any other leadership race. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, uh, me, to me, the real issue here, the, the, the story about Luke Kazak and his $20,000 cell phone bill is chump bait. Mm-hmm. The real story here is that the Conservative Party's in crisis, those leadership campaigns are in crisis, and uh, what happens next will be absolutely fascinating, quite possibly the most interesting politics we've seen in Alberta in, in decades. And I guess only a week and a half till we see that first vote in the PC leadership race. Mm-hmm. So now while, while we've spent a long time talking about a $20,000 <laughs> phone bill and all the time associated with that or all the issues associated with that, Alberta's finance minister, Doug Horner, did have some much bigger picture numbers to discuss yesterday. So what did he have to say about Alberta's financial picture? And let's just hit this real fast. Okay, quickly. Um, money is pouring in. We've got a billion dollars more in the first quarter than we've thought we were going to have. Woo-hoo, cell phones for all. Um, so they're spending more <laughs> money, but the overall this year's surplus is going to be $1.1 billion, be now roughly $1.4 billion. They've got $45 billion in revenue coming in. They've got more corporate tax. They've got more money from royalties and oil and bitumen. money's just pouring in. And to me, it's fascinating. And any other problems with this kind of wonderful economy and wonderful um, fiscal picture, they should be doing great. This is a government in crisis despite the fact that we saw this this money coming in. And we are focused on small amounts of money. We're not focused on the $1.4 billion surplus. We're focused on $20,000 in, in roaming charges. Just like Alison Redford back in the spring when she left, she brought down a $45 billion budget, but she got tripped up over $45,000 in uh, this trip to South Africa. So this is a government that's got real problems, and I don't know if it's rosy fiscal uh, position is really going to help it at this point. Mm, I watched the news conference online and it did seem almost bittersweet. And what did you think of Doug Horner's oh. reaction when one of the reporters asked whether this will be his last yes. fiscal update? Because Prentice has been saying that he thinks that anyone who was around the cabinet table probably needs to go. So that would include the finance minister who's been a huge supporter of Prentice. Now, I'm extrapolating all kinds of things there. Maybe this won't be his last fiscal update, but what did you think about his reaction to that? Well, yeah, it was. I think it caught him off guard. It's a very blunt question. Like, you know, how do you feel? You, you'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> you're, on the- you're on your way out for more than one reason. Um, I, th- it was, I think it likely is his last fiscal update as finance minister. He's, I think so. Again, he's a very smart, capable man, very... Um, 
he's very nice. Uh, he's incredibly intelligent, very, um, uh, he's competent, more than competent. But he has been caught up in this, you know, what's happening with the Auditor General. He's been caught up in um, this, the, the, the use of air, aircraft, um, the abuse of aircraft. So when, when the scandals start affecting people of his caliber and his quality, this is a real problem for the government. And I guess we'll see if it is his last quarterly update or not. So I feel like we've spent so much time talking about the PC leadership race. We should give just a tiny bit of due to the NDP race, which hasn't been getting as much attention. It's the fourth party in the legislature. But I thought it was worth talking about this week that uh, Rachel Notley in- received an endorsement. Care to give us a recap, Karen, about that endorsement? It was a really quiet uh, event in the northeast corner of the city. We saw Darren Billis endorse Rachel Notley. Uh, He's the only sitting MLA in that party who is free to give an endorsement. Brian Mason, of course, the outgoing leader, is not endorsing anyone. And Dave Egan is running for the leadership as well. So it was interesting. Um, The the NDP leadership race is not fraught, as the governing party's uh, leadership race is. Uh, And there's less on the table, obviously. Nobody's going to become premier. Uh, But it is interesting to watch the party position itself for the next election. I mean, Rachel and Darren both said, look, there's a big gap in the middle of Alberta's political spectrum. There's nobody available for progressive Albertans. Uh, We know that a lot of Albertans are progressive because they voted for Alison Redford, who presented herself as a progressive candidate. Obviously, the mayors in both cities are very progressive. So, you know, they they basically are targeting that audience and uh, and they're positioning themselves to take over that that part of the political spectrum so it's interesting to watch them position themselves that's that's what's happening in that party i think one of our colleagues uh, jason marcus off in calgary pointed out online that she has now received the same percentage endorsement from the ndp caucuses jim prentice has <laughs> <laughs> but paula what do you think it means to have the the really only unattached ndp mla throw his uh, weight behind notley's campaign well, I, I don't know that Darren Bellis has enough of a profile to make much difference in the public mind, but I think that, you know, for Dave Egan, it would have been much more important had he been endorsed. I think for Rachel to get the endorsement is a more pro forma thing. Um, but, you know, we saw when we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, I think while you were out of town, that um, Rachel's Notley's campaign is out fundraising the Dave Egan campaign by, you know, by huge margins. I think that their race will not only be less fraught than the conservative one, but it's a more optimistic and a more hopeful one. And I think Karen's right. Instead of positioning themselves to defend the Citadel, they're positioning themselves for a frontal attack. You know, and I'll I'll point this out, that the polls uh, that we've seen over the past couple of months, whether they hold or not, remains to be seen. But they have shown that the NDP very much is taking advantage of the right-wing split in Edmonton. So this is a party that feels like it's on the rise. They feel like they're going to get more votes in the next election. They're going to get more seats. And then the the polls are bearing that out to some degree. I mean, the last poll I saw had the NDP uh, at 30 percent and the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservatives at 19 percent in Edmonton. So, I mean, this is a party with a very different energy around it. And the are going nowhere. They're actually losing to their MLAs. They're running federally. So soon they're going to be behind the NDP when it comes to seats in the House. Right. (laughs) And and just going back to what Karen was talking about, the NDP positioning itself. Yesterday at the news conference, after we heard from uh, uh, Horner talking about, you know, the the, the great fiscal position. Uh, then you had the Wild Rose talking about, you know, it's the government's to get its spending in order. 
The only party that comes out and says we've got to change the tax structure is the NDP. So, so they really are, like, they're actually, they're targeting the left, more moderate people who are saying it's time to change the tax structure. No one else is really talking about it who's credible. Liberals are, but they're not really, to me, a credible party really anymore in the long term. So I think the NDP really does have this big vacuum right now in Alberta politics that they can, they're very well positioned to actually fill. Ooh. And they are moving to the center. I mean, they're, they're they have to. made specific yes. attempts in their policies to move to the center. Uh, for example, they've stopped slamming the oil sands, uh, you know, and, and taken a much more um, uh, moderate, moderate approach to mm-hmm. the oil sands. So, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's a good source of jobs and everybody, everybody <laughs> <Yeah>. likes jobs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and on that note, let's move to good stuff from the gallery. This is where we suggest a... Uh, week uh, recommendation that has a political connection something reading could be tv viewing could be listening i'm always the one who suggests tv viewing i admit it so paula you've been away i'm sure you've just had tons of time to read ha 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 want to start <laughs> yeah i i do um i want to recommend a piece that's in the economist this week a really interesting essay about uh china's evolving position as an economic and political superpower and what it will mean when China's economy surpasses that of the United States. It's called What China Wants, and it's in, I think, the August 23rd edition of The Economist, but you can also see it online. And then I just also want to say that everybody should go and see Boyhood, which isn't a very (laughs) political movie, except for this really quite wonderful scene where the dad has the kids out putting up Obama posters on people's lawns, and and the kids approach a house that has a Confederate flag out front, and the, the little boy says would you like an Obama sign in your lawn that doesn't go well no I'm sure I'm sure it doesn't all right I am going to suggest a uh, story from Harper's magazine I actually did some reading Uh, this is called the end of retirement when you can't afford to stop working it's by Jessica Bruder and it was just for me such an eye-opening read about the state of become being a senior citizen for some people in the United States this is very American and I would be interested to know how big of a culture of temporary workers what this story goes into is seniors who can't afford to retire but they're unemployed and how many of them have become basically joined the migrant workforce going from place to place in the United States in their RVs working these temporary jobs, working for, uh, you know, online retailers from October to December and then going to pick some kind of fruit or vegetable in other seasons and just people, what they're doing to eke by and how they're being recruited and this rather terrifying picture of retirement that really made me think, I really have to start saving some more money. Mm -hmm. So I will recommend that. And that is in Harper's. We'll post the link. Graham Thompson, tell me your good stuff. Um, I was catching up on my reading. I was away for a couple of weeks, and um, this is my New Yorker from July the 28th. Really interesting article on Joe Biden. It's called The Biden Agenda in the New Yorker. And it's it's interesting because it's talking about his ambitions to become president. Now, he won't say he's going to do it. The story is basically saying if Clinton, Hillary Clinton, does not run, he wants to to run as the Democratic. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I thought he would be you know, getting, sailing off into the sunset. Yeah, he's a political animal. You know, he's up in the, into his 70s. So uh, he he wants to, he's very careful in his wording, but in fact, he actually, you know, posed in a sense for this whole article, um, looking at his background and his future. Um, I was I was interested in the fact that this is a man who actually does think he has a chance to become president. Speaking of American seniors who can't retire. Yes, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. 
Karen, we're just we're so tight on time. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop there, but maybe you can suggest something that we'll post online. That's it for this week. I wish we had our, our noisemakers to do the celebratory woohoo first anniversary. Happy birthday. To or us. happy anniversary. What's happy, that Flintstone song? Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Okay, I'll stop now. For a video excerpt of this, I can only imagine what Ryan Jackson is going to pick out from this episode to video. Uh, you can go to edmontonjournal.com. You can find old episodes of the podcast on edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. You can also find the press gallery online on iTunes and on SoundCloud. If, perchance, this is your first time listening to the press gallery, you could go back and listen to the whole previous year on iTunes. What fun listening for you. And you can see how our opinions and the stories have evolved. You can like us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash thepressgallery. That's where we'll post all our links to good stuff from the gallery. Thanks so much for joining us for the past year, and we'll be back next week in the press gallery.